Thank you so much for joining us today. We are the Free Kit Martin Podcast, and you can always email us any tips you have. We would love to hear from you. You can always remain anonymous at freekitmartin at gmail.com. We have got to talk to Emilio Corsetti, Stacy. Uh, Emilio, as you know, wrote your ex-husband's uh, book, I Will Ruin You, and it comes out hopefully and we're crossing our fingers, and Emilio, maybe you could help us here. Uh, uh, spring of 2024? Are my fingers crossed hard enough? Um, well, I, I can say that um, the publisher originally, the original plan was February. Um, oh. Next February. Oh, so um, that's that winter. Be, that may be pushed back uh, a few weeks um, because one of the things that was holding up the book was the appeal, right? right? Because the story didn't have an ending. It still doesn't have an ending, but it didn't have an ending because in order to be uh, present a balanced approach to the story, you have to hear from both sides. But because the appeal was ongoing, um, the police side and the prosecution side weren't able to comment. So once the appeal was finalized by the Supreme Court, Publisher told me that I needed to go back, and I was going to do it anyway. I needed to go back and give the prosecution, the judge, and lead detective Scott Smith another opportunity to comment, which I did last week. Oh. And um, wow. so whether they comment or not, I, I can't say. I do know that uh, Scott Smith told me that he was going to decline to be interviewed interesting thing that I found out was um, I had sent Kit a draft of the manuscript and the the publisher was upset that I did that but I I did it with my two previous books and I I mean I think it's important for accuracy and especially in this situation where I'm not able to freely communicate with Kit to get his input on uh, the story Right. Right. The timeline and how it's all laid out. Yes. All the factual information. I mean, I don't. And he has them, and he has them documented, as you know. Yeah. And same thing with Stacy. I sent Stacy an early draft of the book, and she pointed out a list of things that needed to be corrected, which I did. Great. Um, Thank you for that. Yeah. So one thing that I did find interesting in talking to Detective Scott Smith. And I kind of assumed this was that um, he was aware that I had sent him a manuscript. He was also aware that Kit had sent corrections and comments on the manuscript to me to incorporate in the manuscript. And his comment to me was, well, in you doing that, it, it, it comes across as being one-sided, right? So I said, well, Okay, so here's your opportunity. If you believe it's one-sided, then sit down for an interview and, uh, and give me your side of the story. So he said, okay, well, I need a week to think about it. Now, here's what I think's happening. He knew that the manuscript was delivered to Kit, right? I'm fairly certain that Kit or the, the prison staff made a copy of the, of the draft that I'd sent. Oh, so, of course I'm they did. That, that uh, he's reviewing the manuscript, which is perfectly fine with me, and the same with the prosecution because they've been absolutely um, silent. And uh, 
I also reached out again to Alex Garcia, who's no longer with the Kentucky um, Attorney General's office. Oh, he's not, is he? So we're going to let it uh, let it play out, and for at least another week or two. So that may delay the publication, maybe into uh, March. If I'm hearing you correct, I mean, what you're saying, Emilio, is you sent. If I don't want to misstate this. You sent this draft to Kit for him to prove because you want facts to be accurate. And in the meantime, someone informed Detective Smith that he had that manuscript and also that he had sent corrections. That's correct. So they are watching him very closely for some reason. Well, that's that's normal. You can expect that. Um, But but here's the problem with, with, with the whole scenario. From their viewpoint, you can't argue that the book is biased towards one side when you were given an opportunity to comment and you refuse to comment. Now, if he agrees to sit down for an interview, great. Well, I'll go down there and if I have something wrong, um, I'll correct it. But we'll see what happens. Well, and you gave the opportunity to the victims' families to speak, as I understand as well, right? You gave them opportunity for an interview. Oh, yes. Uh, Matt and Diana, yes, I both uh, reached out to both of them, and, and uh, there was one response, which was that they were not interested, basically. Okay. I paid for a service to locate people. Right. So that uh, I could get addresses and, and so forth. So I could not find Joan Harmon. Anywhere. I did find addresses for Alma and EJ. I sent EJ a certified uh, letter, which was returned to me as undeliverable. And then I tried Alma, a certified letter to her, which I never did receive back. So, wow. I I made attempts, but so far I've been uh, unable to locate them. Don't know really where Joan or EJ are really, right? Well, here's an interesting story um, with EJ. So, you know, I reached out to everybody after this appeal because a lot of people on that side of this story could not comment, even if they wanted to, because of the ongoing litigation, right? Right. Well, they can't use that excuse anymore because the appeal was denied. So now... I'm giving him one last opportunity, right? So I reached out to EJ through his Facebook page, which was pretty much inactive. The very next day after I had reached out to EJ on Facebook, he deleted his account. Oh, ouch. Owie hurts. That hurts. That's a big old ouchie, EJ. We wanted to talk to you. We all want to talk to you. And by the way, Joan Harmon, if you're listening to this podcast, and we're pretty sure you are, we would very much like to interview you. I mean, just Stacy, me, and you. A girl's night out, Joni. We're looking for you. We would love to hear, you know, to give a fair opportunity for everyone to speak, right? Absolutely. I don't mean to be a smart aleck here, but seriously, would love to hear her side of things. I really would. You're going to have to handle some hard questions, though. We're not going to be soft at all on you. Not at all. 
because, you know, there's an innocent army ranger, major Christian Kit Martin in jail. I don't know. There's there's some awful lot of suspicion around your name. And the fact that the jury didn't get to meet you and didn't get to meet your son really ticked a lot of people off. And I don't mean just here in the United States or just in Kentucky. I mean around the world. This is a global movement right now, the free Kit Martin movement. And I don't mean to, you know, go all soapbox on you, but I'm going to step back off here. I'm going to let you take it from here. We need to talk about Barbara Whaley today. And I wanted to start with the fact that Barbara Whaley is a multi-award winning lawyer. And one of the, the things that I wanted to note is that she just won the Ian Sinego Award back in 2019. Now, when was Kit arrested? I'm just kind of curious. What was the actual date of the arrest, you guys? It was 2019, May, wasn't it? Okay. So in August of 2019. Um, Andy Bashir awarded the Ian Sinego Award of Excellence to the Honorable Barbara Maines Whaley of the Office of Attorney General. Whaley has served under eight attorneys general for 36 years and prosecuted cases in more than 100 of Kentucky's counties. Now, she wins this Award of Excellence and... Um, She's won several more awards, not only from Andy Bashir, but just from that office and from being there for uh, 36 years. I want to talk about something very specific, Emilio, and it's something that you and I have already talked about in the other podcast, the Offender True Crime podcast that, that Mick and I were doing. And you said there was a moment there. There, there was a time in that trial that Miss Barbara Whaley had to make the decision to deceive. Can we talk about that right now? Crystal, you, I sent you an early draft of the book, yeah. and you may remember there's a chapter in there called The Art of Deception. Yes, indeed. One of my favorite right? parts of the entire so, book. Th- this whole trial was, was a deception. Let's put it that way. All right? It started off with the prosecution displaying all of these images that seemed to point to guilt, but actually went absolutely nowhere, all right? For example, they showed a picture. First of all, they showed the scene of of the burned out car and they showed it had rained the day before and it was all muddy, right? And then not that much longer, they show a a picture of muddy boots sitting on the uh, porch, the back porch, all right? There's absolutely no connection between the muddy boots and the car scene but you can see how they're, they're setting it up to make it look like there's connection. Mm-hmm. And the, the, here's the thing about those boots. They weren't even kids' boots. So they show a picture of two kerosene containers that they said Luminol had tested for blood on the handles. That's pretty incriminating because earlier testimony, they had showed that the, the car had been set on fire with kerosene, right? Now you're showing two kerosene containers that supposedly have blood on the handles. At no point during the trial did they provide any DNA testing that would implicate Kit with the blood on the handles of those kerosene containers. 108 pieces of DNA, by the way. Never, not one piece goes back to Major Martin. But they didn't even, they didn't even... Of all those DNA results that you're talking about, not one was related to those kerosene containers. The other thing about that about that kerosene container was that the picture 
that they took, the luminol testing, wasn't done until six months after the murders, right? <laughs> Kit wasn't even living in the in the residence. The, the, the containers were in his shed. And so he had no connection to those containers at that point. So some more of the deception that the prosecution presented. Well, first of all, going back to those containers, you know, some of the online comments during the course of the trial where people were saying, well, he's, he's guilty. You know, they based solely on those pictures. I'll give you another example. They showed a picture of ammunition in the back of Kit's truck. All right. They showed a box of 45 caliber ammunition and they showed a, a, a um, an AR-15 style um, 22, I can't remember what it's called, a cartridge that, that you can shoot that you can shoot multiple rounds off, like an AR-15. Right. Well, as it turns out, right, that ammunition had absolutely nothing to do with the case, right? Because it wasn't the type of ammunition that was used to, to, to murder these victims. But they planted the seed in the jury's mind. And as I note in the book, it was actually a huge thing because one of the jurors said to me that he believed the kit had that specific type of ammunition, this RIP round, because he saw a picture of it in the back of his truck. Oh, my. Oh, my God. God. The chaos, you know? In addition Isn't to that, that, the definition of misleading the jury, I mean, is that actually legal to do for a prosecutor to do that? Well, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just setting up what, what they did. All right. So I'll give you another example. Uh, the, the ammunition one, though, is, is a big one because not only did they show this misleading image that had nothing to do with the case, um, in her closing argument, Barbara Whaley insinuated that he had the ammunition. And she did that when she was talking about motive means and opportunity, right? So uh, only kid had the motive, only kid had the means. He had the 20, first of all, she says, um, the the guns that killed these three victims were found in the, in the uh, defendant's home. Well, obviously that's a false statement because they didn't prove that at all. At so all. how can you make that statement in the closing argument? And then she went right into, uh, let me say, I will say that she immediately backed it up saying that it could have been any of Kit's 22 caliber guns. Well, your burden is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. When you say it could have been this gun or this gun or that gun, that is certainly not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. Amen. Um, the fact is, I could go to any gun store and buy a 22 caliber gun. And if it had a six right twist, which is a probably an 80 percent to 90 percent probability, you cannot exclude that gun um, as being the murder weapon. Right. Right. So I'll give you another example. They show an image of. Kit having a doorstop. I don't know if you remember that. There was a doorstop under his front door. Right. I do remember. I remember because the door was uh, antique and he was trying to kind of get it back into its place because it was stuck for a while. Right. But that's not how the prosecution presented it, right? Prosecution presented that doorstop as being there because it was there to prevent somebody from coming into the house. 
which went with their theory that the front door was functional. And it was so functional that they had to put a door stop there to prevent somebody from coming in. When the door stop was actually there to, um, as you said, help straightening the door, which had worked because it had the house had gone unsold for a couple of seasons without any heat in the front door had worked. So it, it wasn't closing properly. So right. that was the reason for the door stop. Yeah, I tell you what, there was a lot of chaos going on in that particular uh, case. And uh, let's go back to Barbara Whaley, though. Um, you're right. Everything you just pointed out was a decision to deceive. And that is the part of all of this that really, really bothers me. Now, we've not really ever gone there, and I think it's time we do. But I think, too, and this is just my opinion, and this is all for educational and content purposes only, but Andy Bashir, there had to be a moment where he had to make a decision to deceive as well. Because there's zero evidence pointing Major uh, Martin to these three murders. And he, you know, I, I just put it up on the Free Kit Martin podcast Facebook page, by the way. I just put up his press conference. And to watch that again enrages me. This is a politician lying to your face. And by God, he's up for governor again. And I'll be damned if he if he gets into that seat again, you guys, on the tail end of this Kip Martin thing. This, this whole timing of the Supreme Court, the Kentucky Supreme Court and everything, enrages me. Just like the day of the, of the trial where the 12 people found him guilty. What the hell's going on in this country? If I remember correctly, speaking to that, and again, like you said, this is just our opinions. But back in 2016, they went to, um, they being whoever collects DNA samples, and they went to North Carolina where he was living, and they collected several hair samples. And we know that that didn't match because fast forward to when they arrested him, it ended up things had to be delayed because they sent those hair samples to Quantico to be tested. And that excluded Kit, uh, totally excluded them. It wasn't as Barbara Whaley said in her closing arguments that they were similar. Yes, they were similar in color, but when they were sent off, the FBI report come back that it totally excluded him. So right. I don't and, see and, any evidence that changed. And again, in her closing argument, argument Barbara Willey addressed the, the hair fiber evidence and failed to mention that the DNA testing that they were able to do excluded Kit. Um, but getting back to Barbara Whaley, um, there, there's so many more items where deception was involved. And of course, the very most important of that is their attempt to deceive the, the jury by misleading them with editing the security camera footage to show gaps where um, the, they, ex, they suspect crimes were being committed across the street. Now, the defense was able to, to show the jury that that was false, but it didn't occur until six days later after the damage had already been done. And, and there's another thing, too, with, with Barbara Whaley. So before the closing arguments, and you remember this, this was in the draft of the book that you had, um, there was the hearing involving the complicity charge. Right. All right. So Barbara Whaley 
the, the judge asks, and it's on my website too, under the, I think it's called complicity. Post hey, is called Emilio, complicity. real quickly, let's explain what complicity is. A lot of people aren't in law. Well, well Kit was originally charged with, com- with murder, with complicity with others, or alone. Well, at no point during the trial did they put forward another person that could have assisted him, right? Not but once. But what's important in, the, in, in this hearing that happened before the night of the closing arguments was Judge John Atkins asked the prosecution, well, what about this? At no point during the trial did you mention another person. What makes you think that we should provide the jury instructions involving complicity? And Barbara Whaley stands up and she says, well, circumstantial evidence um, points to more than one individual. All right, so, and then the, the judge rules against that, so they can't argue complicity. Well, they had all kinds of holes in their case. And the only way that they can explain those holes in their case was by saying that Kit had assistance with somebody else. Right. Right. But if the prosecution knows that there were two more, more than two people involved, but you can't prove that there was any assistance or you can't prove the second person even existed. How can you even go along with the prosecution of somebody? Doug Moore successfully argued that, you know, and that was a brilliant uh, video up at EmilioCorsetti.com. Emilio, thank you so much for putting that on there. Because not because if you watch that on a big TV, you can see the look on Barbara Whaley's face. And it's quite satisfying to someone like me who wants to rip all that gray hair out of her head. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to, you know, be mean and nasty and turn into, a, you know, an eighth grader here. And, and there's so something about that whole situation and maybe even a little Judge John Atkins thrown in there too. Uh, There's something fishy going on, something rotten in Denver, as they say in Quentin Tarantino movies. Mm -hmm. Well, I I think it was a a case of trying to fit the evidence to fit your theory of the crime and excluding evidence that didn't fit your theory. Unbelievable, man, that that happened right here in the United States. Well, what's important, and I think I heard you mention it on a pre- previous prior uh, podcast, was none of this would have come to light if it weren't for the fact that there were cameras allowed in the, in the courtroom. That's right. Thank you, Court TV. So thanks to that, thousands of people were able to see all this deception that was going on. And form an army, and that's what we've done, Kit's Army. I want you to know there are people in touch with me right now on TikTok that serve time with Kit. One of them is Rico. And Rico, a big shout out to you, my friend. He was in the United States Air Force. And this very same thing happened to him. He said, not only do I know Kit, Kit promised that he would help and now I'm going to help him. He promised he would help me and now I'm going to help him. And I said, once we get him out... Once he's out, and I would say we, I mean Kit's Army, all of us, there is a collective. There's also Freedom's Cry with Greg Joseph. Check, you guys. There's so much going on behind this movement. But when you read to me in the last episode, Kit's words, he said, Kit's Army and Free Kit Martin is a movement. And once he gets out, and we will get him out, this army is not going to stop until that man is free. He fought for Absolutely. the he fought for the freedom of you Judge Atkins, you Babs Whaley, Scott Smith and and Noiseworthy and Garrett. I have all of your number. We all do. And we're sick of it. Amen. And you know, it's if you don't mind, I'm going to say this very carefully. 
as we get closer to finding the truth and finding the deceit and finding out who all is involved, that I have no idea how you lay down and sleep at night. No, I as don't we get either. Closer, we will see other things, other setups try to start happening so that they can just try to prove something else that doesn't exist. And just be aware, I want the public to know, I guarantee you when you start getting closer to truth, somebody's going to get scared and they're going to start doing things. And, and we will publish that also. I wanted to give your listeners a roadmap of, of what's to come. All right, we're ready. All ears. Get exhausted as appeals because in, in Kentucky, once you, if you're convicted of a murder, capital murder case, um, it doesn't go to an appeal court and then you can appeal that to the Supreme Court. It just goes directly to the Supreme Court. Right. Right. This one. So yeah. He can't appeal it anymore uh, legally, but there is a legal avenue um, uh, available to him and it's called the writ of habeas corpus. Oh, yes. All right. So what that means is if you if you can find new evidence or you can challenge the evidence that was used against him, then you can request a new trial. All right. By by claiming that he's being unlawfully detained. All right. So that's the avenue that's available to him. Uh, But what you need to do is you need to have a lawyer uh, to do that. So there's a couple of ways that that are open, avenues that are open to them. One is uh, new evidence. And I've I've come across some new evidence. But the new evidence that I've come across is not strong enough to get a new trial, but is strong enough to use if a new trial is granted. I'll, I'll give you one example. I can't go into detail all of it, all of it but... This is an, just an example of something that came up after the trial. Marlene LaRock, I had an opportunity to, to talk to her. And, and uh, you know, as you know, she was mentioned in the appeal, uh, right? Um, in fact, they, they said that uh, Judge John Atkins not giving her the ability to, to talk was an error, all right? That's in the appeal. Okay. But they said it was a harmless error, all right? So Marlene LaRock, and, and this didn't come up before the trial. It only came up after Marlene saw some of the court TV coverage. All right. Well, you remember in the trial on the day of the murders, Pam called Marlene just before she was shot. Marlene says that one of the things that Pam said was that Cal's keys and wallet were laying out on the table. Yes, I remember that. Well, she didn't say that. She didn't, no one knows that. She said the keys in the wallet were laying out on the table. But then when she saw on the court TV coverage that the wallet was up on the shelf along with the dog tag, she realized that whoever had shot um, Pam had moved the wallet on the top of the bookshelf next to his phone and where the dog tag was found. Where it was planted, yes. So how is that new evidence? Well, that evidence points towards the planted evidence theory, right? Mm -hmm. So why would you move the wallet from the table 
to the shelf next to the phone only if you were also going to plant the uh, the dog tag. All right. Now here's another avenue of what's called challenging the evidence. Uh, and I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving legal advice. But but this these are some possibilities that are open to kid. So there are a couple avenues to challenge the evidence that was used against them. And one of them is the dog tag. So Kit already testified that it wasn't his dog tag. We know it's not an official dog tag. Everybody knows that it wasn't his dog tag. But there's no reason that Calvin Phillips would have a dog tag that says Kit Martin on it. No. Absolutely no reason. Zero. There's only three people that know that would have any reason to have that dog tag. EJ, Alma, or Essie. Those right? would be the kids of Joan Harmon. Right. So... All you have to do is if you can get Alma or Essie to say, yes, that that was a, a gift that my mother gave to EJ on his 15th birthday or whatever, all right, now you're challenging the evidence that was used against them. So how does a birthday present uh, to EJ end up at a crime scene Love when it. he hadn't been involved with this family for years? Good thinking, man. Emilio, you're on top of this. That is great yes, thinking. And interestingly, we didn't know him as Kit until he moved to Pembroke. We, it was Chris was his name. So, you know, only the people around there would have known his nickname to be Kit because he was always Chris to all of us. Right. Yeah, so, um, I mean, you know, I, the dog tag is definitely one example and then there's another avenue, too. I mean, there's two more uh, avenues in the writ of habeas corpus that you can use. One is ineffective counsel. I'm not going to bash the lawyers on his defense team. They made some mistakes. But in my opinion, they did the best job that they could under the circumstances. But that, that's still an avenue because they did make some mistakes. And I won't go into them now. There's also the possibility of jury misconduct. All right. Um. In the interview I did with juror number five, uh, he mentioned to me that he told the other jurors, he swayed the other jurors to his line of thinking by claiming that he knew some people in Iraq and Afghanistan who wore their dog tags on something other than a, a chain because of the heat. Well, that was not evidence that was presented at trial. And as a jury, you're you're role is to use the evidence that was presented at trial and not to introduce your own evidence. Right. As a jury. Right. So those are some of the avenues, but there's, an, there's another very more important challenging of the evidence I can't go into now that could completely change the whole thing around. Stacy, you were just on court TV. Uh, pretty, uh, <laughs> by the way, nice job. I, that is a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? Well, thank you. Um, actually, you know, I do have done most of my life presentations, sales presentations, things like that in my in my job. But I will tell you that I was more nervous for this this court TV because I was so afraid I would leave something out, or maybe you know, as as we know, there's new evidence that we can't talk about. Right. And you know, so it was a little bit. A little bit hairy, a little bit scary, but I was very pleased that they were willing to talk to us. I think that, as we know, 
you know, Court TV took a Facebook poll after the trial and there was, what was it, 90 something percent of everybody believed he was innocent. Right. So I found it very difficult to understand how a jury of 12 could all unanimously say guilty. And Julie um, was just sensational with you, man. And I just thought she was great. Um, it had to be like a little awkward when she asked you if you were in love with your ex-husband. <laughs> Well, you know, that's not the motive for everything. So you just want to be a good person. That's you know? right. When you've known somebody for over 30 years and you know this is not in their character. But even if I didn't know him personally and watch that trial and, you know, know the things that I know from that trial and heard what I heard, I, I think I'd still be fighting for him. You know, it's a cause. It's a movement because there are so many wrongfully convicted people. And it is a problem in the United States of America, a horrible problem. It really is. And it's an epidemic. And it's the injustice system now, as Kit calls it. It is. And, you know, I have a lot of people to ask me that question. Why? Why are you helping him so much? You know, part of it is he is the father we have children together. Three. But the other part of it is, if I know what I know from what I am seeing, what kind of person would I be if I didn't stand up for him? Absolutely. I mean, there's, mil there's thousands of people standing up for him that have never met him. So how can somebody that knows him not stand up for him? I, I can't comprehend that way of thinking. I can't either. So, you know, this is not a big love, triangle love thing. This is absolutely... Me just wanting to help somebody that I know is innocent. So. Well, I emailed him the other day and told him I'm a family member for life now because you're my new BFF. <laughs> I, guess I, can't, <laughs> I can't get enough of Stacey. You helped me so much through this, and I hope that I can help you too. And I know one thing, your soothing voice, Emilio, and what you have written and what you have up there on your website has me so excited. And this book yes. changes everything. It changes the landscaping of this entire case. And because millions of people are going to come aboard, it'll be a New York Times bestseller. It's gripping. Oh, I sure hope so. That'd be great. Yeah, it's it's well, gripping. And it's a I true to story. Tell Stacey that, that I, I thought you did an excellent job of going over the, the points uh, of the case in the it's short amount of time that you had. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I thought you did, you did, did great. Um, Thank you. But that reaches a much larger audience. Right. right. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to next year because uh, once we get the, the ball rolling, they haven't heard the last of, of uh, the Kit Martin case. I'm no, sure. they have not. Kit's army That's will right. have the last word. There's no question about that. And Emilio, I want to say a very special thank you to you. I try Every time, and I talk about the case a lot, imagine that, and <laughs> I try everywhere I'm at to talk about your book because you've done such a fantastic job of making some sense of the chaos. That's right. You know, it, if you'd been sitting in that trial, it was like head spinning. We were like, now what are they talking about? It was it was so hard to follow because there's so many twists and turns, but you've done a fabulous job at putting that all together in a, a realistic storyline, which is truth that we can understand. So hats off to you. Millie. Absolutely. Yeah. You've told this story brilliantly. You started before the, um, the court martial. Hey, you guys, this is going to be a movie one day. I mean, I'm absolutely sure of it. It's a gripping movie. 
I can't believe I got caught up on it just by watching court TV one day in the middle of the pandemic at my mom's in Kentucky. And by the way, she lived in um, in Prestonsburg, Kentucky, which is just right up the road a bit, as you would say, Stacey, uh, from, <laughs> from where Kit is. Um, so he's over in West Liberty. So I actually got to go by the prison and everything and went live on uh, the Facebook page to let everybody know just what it looks like when you're going. But he lives on the road to justice. What are the odds that his address would be the road to justice? You know, that is not how he addresses his envelopes when he writes. He Does calls he really? It the road to injustice. Oh my God, that's fabulous. He, not, but yeah, he calls it on his envelope. He sent some paperwork to me, and he said the road to injustice. And I thought only Chris would do that. Yeah, get to you all. I keep having a hard time. Yeah. Oh, man, I you know, it's it's hard to call everybody else a hero because we have the big hero on top, Kit Martin. But yeah, you're one of the definite parts of the story that's going to get it out to millions. It's so important. And I owe an apology to Emilio because we have so many. The family has had so many contacting different people. And sometimes you don't know who's on the other end of the phone. And I'm like almost biting his head off thinking, I don't know what side this guy's on. <laughs> you right. know? So Emilio, I mean, again, I'm just very appreciative of, of you putting that all together in a format that everybody could understand. And you didn't have, and when I say skin in the game, however your investigations turned out is the way you would have written the book. So it's very, um, comforting to know that when you were finished with it, you didn't have any doubt in your mind that Kit Martin is innocent. Yeah, my job is to just present the facts, right, as unbiasedly as I can, and then let the reader decide, make the decision on their own, if they prove their case or not. And um, reaching out to the prosecution and to the, the detective um, to offer them an opportunity to answer some questions is all I can do. And if they decide, if they decline, like I still haven't heard back from the prosecution at all and, and multiple attempts. to. My contact. guess is you won't, Emilio. Right. You're going to ask them the hard questions. You know, they want softball questions, people like Andy Bashir. And by the way, state of Kentucky, it's up to you, man. That's your man. That's your man right now. And if you want to put him right back in that seat, you go right ahead. I don't know that your um, alternative is any better. But we just know what that man is capable of doing. There was zero evidence against Major Martin. And uh, there was a huge press conferences, cameras standing by, very high, public, the Louisville International Airport arrest of Major Market. Just- well, let, let me say something about that. All right, so the press conference that you're referring to happened on May 11th, which was the day after uh, Kit was arrested. He was arrested on May 10th, right? And that at that time, on May 10th, Um, Detective Smith uh, sat in front of a grand jury and he gave false testimony. Boy, did he. Yes, he did. All right. So for content purposes only. (laughs) At that point, Andy Bashir had no way of knowing that the testimony that was used to get an indictment was was false. Okay. All right. But he still got into the governor's seat with it. Well, I'm not going to get into the political Part of that, but I it, it is in the book, as you know, the timing of events and how close the election was, and the question of whether the, the two are tied together. That's another one of those things that's up to the reader to, to make their own. That's yeah, you're right. And if you don't mind, I want to back up a minute to Lieutenant 
Scott Smith. And I'm sure you don't mind at all, Crystal. I'd love to invite him to come onto the podcast. I mean, everybody, everybody deserves, and Miss Whaley too, um, everybody deserves an opportunity to tell their side. But I want to add something. You know, I remember, and we know he was, he did not give true evidence. It was false evidence to the grand jury to get the indictment. And in the trial, he said, well, I made a mistake. Well, what I want to say to Detective Smith is if you made that kind of mistake and you're a detective, that's a problem because I took reports from those um, expert cell phone people that come out with reports. And I looked at that report and I'm a real estate agent for heaven's sake. And I could tell the phones went in different ways. So if a detective can't, I'd say that's a huge problem. That's a big old problem, Scott Smith. By the way, Scott Smith was a, uh, originally he was a Kentucky State Trooper. And he was with the Madisonville um, Post 2. And that's an interesting group of people. They've been, a lot of those guys in that post have been in trouble for corruption type stuff. Um, then he was no longer a police officer and became suddenly the Christian County lead detective on this Kit Martin thing. I mean, just the timing of all of it was suspicious to me. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Emilio. Gosh, we appreciate you so much. And again, we're looking at what? The spring of 2024 and maybe even in February, just depending on how things line up, right? All the stars yeah, are Yeah, February, March. It's called I Will it's Ruin wonderful. You. It is wonderful. And, as far as the title and subtitle, um, you know, the publisher, That's the book is in their hands right now. They can change the title if they want. So, so I'll keep people updated on that. So side. the actual title, the working title is I Will Ruin You, and then the subtitle is The Wrongful Conviction of Christian Kit Martin, correct? Well, it's conviction with, with an S in parentheses because his court-martial um, also fell into gotcha. the same okay. web of lies. If, if, if Boy. Man, oh man, that's for another day. We just have to set him free, and then we worry about getting his military uh, decorations back. What kind of decorations does he have? I know he has one air medal and I think three bronze stars. It, they're valor awards, so it's some sort of heroic thing that he did. So, Stacy, that's your uh, that is definitely going to be your homework for this week. Find out I what. Yeah, should you should already know that. Yeah, but just find out from him what it is, how he won those awards. There are several more that we could mention, but those are just the ones to highlight. Um, yeah, this is an Army Ranger. He's innocent. The three of us here know that with all of our hearts and souls because we have uh, gone into this case so in-depth. And again, 108 pieces of DNA, nothing going back to Major Martin. He's a U.S. Army Ranger, ex-wife, bigamist that, uh, you know, we found that in the middle of divorcing her that she was really never divorced from the last guy. There is so much that goes on with Joni. We're going to have a whole show on Joni uh, here pretty soon. Stacy and I can't wait for that one. So until, You had a title for that, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Joni, the phony, and all her baloney. <laughs> <laughs> we will see you next time on the free Kit Martin podcast. You can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us on Facebook. We're on Instagram and we're working on Twitter and you can get us wherever you get your podcast. We thank you so much for listening today. Free- thank you, everyone. Thanks, Emilio. Right, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the free Kit Martin podcast. This podcast is for content and educational purposes only.